you're listening to The Maniculum, pointing the finger at the Middle Ages. We bring you the choicest medieval nonsense, discuss and evaluate it, then pillage it for our own geeky purposes. Hey y'all, so this was supposed to be the last episode of The Toyne, but the recording session ran very long, so I've split it in two. So here is The Toyne Part 4, and I suppose week after next you'll get The Toyne Part 5 plus our normal segments. Enjoy. Okay. Should we get back into The Toyne? Yes, let's. Our hopefully final, maybe split, we'll see. But our final section of The Toyne here... So, as you might recall, it's been a little while. The Toyne is an Irish epic poem that basically talks about how the Connacht men with King Alil and Queen Maeve go charging into the North of Ireland to fight the Ulster men to try and take this big, beautiful cow because Queen Maeve desperately wants to be as rich as her husband. And the only reason that she's not is because she doesn't have this one cow to match her husband's wealth. So speaking of misgendering, for some reason, we cannot stop calling this bull a cow. I've noticed that in every (laughs) every episode we record. It's just more fun to call it a cow. Whatever. (laughs) (laughs) This bovine creature. (laughs) Anyway. I mean, some some translations do call it a cow, so... Mm, fair. Mwah, whatever. It is technically a bull. So, regardless, yes, they're, they're trying to go after this big brown or red-colored bull. And the only thing stopping this entire massive army from crossing the border and taking this bull is a small, unbearded young man called Cucullin. He has a beard now. He made one. He made one. He made a very false little magic beard. Um, And we just got to the point where he defeated the Morrigan. The Morrigan refused to heal him. And Fergus comes up to him, begs him to let him seed. And Cucullin agrees, if only Fergus will let Cucullin seed at another time. So they made a deal. So seed as in like to not, to give way in battle. Right. So that is basically where we are. That's the recap, basically. And we're finally coming to this big head where the two forces are going to have to come together. So that's where we're leaving off. And we're basically switching over from the Book of Ulster to the Yellow Book of Lacan. And today I'm using the Faraday version which is much easier to read, but does skip out some little bits. So I might jump over to the Dunn, the Joseph Dunn version for sections of it. So now we're coming up to the section that is titled The Combat of Faraday and Cucullin. Uh, I guess I will just pick right off and go straight into it. So Maeve at this point goes up to one of the young men here named Faraday. And, or there's a bunch of different ways to say his name. I'm not entirely sure how to pronounce it. I was, I was trying to look this up. There's probably a modern Irish and probably a medieval Irish way of saying it. So, uh, Ferdiad or Ferdad would be the way I'm, I'm going to say it. And it's F-E-R-D-I-A-D. So Ferdad, Ferdiad, and Cucullin. So 
Then they considered what man among them would be fit to ward off Cuchulain. The four provinces of Ireland spoke and confirmed and discussed whom it would be fitting to send to the ford against Cuchulain. All said that it was the horn skin from Iris Domand, the weight that is not supported, the battle stone of doom, and his own dear and ardent foster brother. That is to say, Feridat. So they're going to send his foster brother up against Cuchulain. For Cuchulain had not a feat that he did not possess except the gay Bolga alone, and they thought that he could avoid it, that is, Ferdad could avoid it and defend himself against it because of the horn about him, so that neither arms nor many edges pierced it. So he's got, like, either a shield or a set of armor that is unpierceable. So, Maeve sent messengers to bring Ferdiad. Ferdiad did not come with those messengers. Maeve sent poets and bard and satirists to him that they might satirize him and mock him and put him aside to ridicule that he might not find a place for his head in the world until he should come to the tent of Maeve and Aleel on the foray. Feridiad came with those messengers for fear of their bringing shame upon him. So again, this is a very honor-based culture. I'm sorry. I did, I'm not sure I followed that. She sent satirists to make fun of him so that he'd come talk mm-hmm. to her. Yes. Okay. As long as I'm following the chain of events Strange are the ways of women. (laughs) But I think, does Odysseus not do something similar with Achilles? I don't remember. It's been forever since I read the Iliad. I know, I haven't done antiquity in ages. But I'm pretty sure there's something similar here, because Achilles is throwing his temper tantrum, you know, about Bryces and refusing to fight. And Odysseus is, like, poking at him to be like, you know, bear up and be the man I expect you to be. That does sound familiar. Well, that line's from Beowulf, but anyway. So Maeve is just like, well, I'm just going to ruin this guy's honor since they live in an economy of honor until he comes and actually presents himself. And so Ferdiad is trying to get out of this because if Maeve doesn't call on him to fight his foster brother, then he doesn't have to stand up for his right there. And so he's split, he's torn in terms of allegiances. So Finnevar, the daughter of Maven Alil, was put on one side of him. It was Finnevar who put her hand on every goblet on every cup of Ferdiad. It is she who gave him three kisses at every cup of them. It is she who distributed apples right frequent over the bosom of his tunic. This is what she said, that he, Ferdiad, was her darling and her chosen wooer of men in the world. Sorry, she distributed apples over the bosom of his tunic? Uh, yes. I'm trying to imagine what that looks like. It's either very literal and she's passing him food, or I think there's other apples that might be passing over his tunic, shall we say. For the listener, Zoe is making gestures. (laughs) (laughs) You know, the the grabby hands. (laughs) So, (laughs) take that as you will. The text is open to interpretation. See, I was imagining like him just lying on the floor and she handing out apples to people while he lies there. And I was like, that doesn't make sense. I, I think she's trying to get him to eat. And she's like, I love you. Please eat. Please do this for my mom. Here comes and the spaceship. Like, yeah. <laughs> and he's like, no, I don't want to do this. I don't want to go to battle. <laughs> uh, but he's got an actual reason to not go to battle. Whereas... Achilles kind of didn't, but regardless. I think the actual reason is that people keep getting killed by a teenager because of a cow. Like, everyone should opt out of this. This is true. So when Ferdiad was satisfied and happy and very joyful, Maeve said, 
Oh, Ferdiad, do you not know why you have been summoned into this tent? I do not know indeed, said Ferdiad, except that the nobles of the men of Ireland are there. What is there less fitting for me to be there than for any other good warrior? It is not that indeed, said Maeve, but to give you a chariot worth three sevens of crumals and the equipment of twelve men and the equal to Mag Merthne from the arable land of Magai and that you should be in Krukan always, and wine to be poured for you there, and freedom of your descendants and of your race, forever without tribute or tax, my leaf-shaped brooch of gold to be given unto you, in which there are ten score ounces and ten score half ounces and ten score crossach and ten score quarters. Finnevar, my daughter and Alil's daughter, for your one wife, and you shall get my love if you need it over and above. Isn't ten score ounces and ten score half ounces just fifteen score ounces? I think she might be saying that there's different metals in this brooch. Also, I thought but it was I'm not brooch. Sure. Brooch, brooch. I don't know. This is literally spelled B-R-O-O-C-H. Yeah, I've always heard that pronounced brooch, brooch, but for what it's worth, I've been told I get all my vowels wrong because of overexposure to southern family members my horrible pronunciations are just overexposure to latin mm. see the word vehemently which i still pronounce vehemently so <laughs> <laughs> or or uh, the first time i saw the word mozambique which i so eloquently looked at and went mozambique <laughs> <laughs> that's terrible <laughs> it's really bad it's really if we really have bad. any listeners in mozambique we're sorry <laughs> So sorry. Yeah, I was, uh, <laughs> this is what it, when you read too much, you don't know how to pronounce anything, yeah. and then the Latin kicks in. I learned how to pronounce macabre from Calvin and Hobbes. Ooh, yeah. Because it was, it was uh, used as a rhyme in one of their poem strips, and I was like, ah, that's how you say that. There it's not go. macabre. <laughs> macabre. <laughs> oh, now I'm thinking of, like, macrame, which is very different. Okay, anyway. Maeve at this point is trying to bribe him with worldly gifts, tax-free status, and women. Well, one woman. Her daughter. Do his descendants still get the land if he dies? Yep. Alright. Freedom of your descendants and of your race forever without tribute or tax. So, which is a lot that, that's for that day and age. That's if he fights, not if he wins, is the question. <laughs> yes. He does not need it, said everyone. Great are the rewards and gifts, meaning he doesn't need your love, Maeve. No one likes you, Maeve. Yeah, yeah. That is true, said Ferdiad. They are great, and though they are great, O oh Maeve, it is with you yourself they will be left, rather than I, should I go against my foster brother to battle. O oh, men, said she and Maeve, though the right way of division and setting by the ears. True is the word that Cucullin spoke, as if she had not heard Ferdiad at all. What word is this, O oh, Maeve? said Ferdiad. He said indeed, said she, <laughs> that he would not. <laughs> yes, that is a, that is a word. True. <laughs> it is a word, yes. He said, He's, truly. He said anti-disestablishmentarianism. <laughs> <laughs> he said that he would not think it too much that you should fall by him as the first fruits of his prowess in the province to which he should come. To say that was not fitting for him, for it is not weariness or cowardice that he has ever known in me, day or night. I swear that I will be the first man who will come tomorrow morning to the ford to combat. So she provokes him mm -hmm. 
by saying, oh, well, Kakolin said it wasn't even going to be a big deal if you were going to fight him. So, you know, whatever. I don't know why I called you here, even though I'm going to give you all these nice things, because that's what Kakolin said. And he's like, that little punk. My brother said that. Are you kidding me? No, fine. I'm going to go fight him. I'm going to go fight him. Because, you know, that's what brothers do. Again, these Irish stories are just, like, toxic masculinity distilled. From everybody. Yeah. From everybody. May victory and blessing come to you, said Maeve, and I think it better than weariness or cowardice be found with you, because of friendship beyond my own men. Why is it more fitting for him to seek the good of Ulster, because his mother was of them, than for you to seek the good of the province of Connacht, because you are the son of a king of Connacht? So... Here, she's turning it back and saying, this is your duty anyway. You're a Connacht. You're not from Ulster. Mm. He's from Ulster. He's your sworn born enemy. So there was a wonderful warrior of Ulster who witnessed this bargaining. And that was Fergus McRoy. And Fergus came to his tent. Woe is me, the deed that is done tomorrow morning, said Fergus. What deed is that? said folk in the tent. So I just imagined him like bursting in, you know, woe is me. Oh no. <laughs> and everyone in the tent's like, what's your deal There's now? Some, like bro? Shakespearean overacting. Exactly, yes. Like Kirk in the original series. <laughs> just straight out. My good fosterling, Kukulin, is to be slain. He barges into you the know. middle of the tent and then starts striking poses <laughs> as he speaks. <laughs> So anyway, uh, he's upset that Kukulin is, you know, about to be slain, and they all cry out, Good luck! Who makes this boast? An easy question. His own dear, ardent foster brother, Fairdad. Why do you not win my blessing, said Fergus, and let one of you go with a warning and with compassion to Kukulin, if perchance he would leave the ford tomorrow morning? So he's saying, I need somebody to go and stop Kukulin from going to the ford to fight. And they reply... Yeah, we're not doing that, because he'll kill us. Yeah, I, I think we've thoroughly established that being <laughs> in the general vicinity of Kukulin is not healthy, no matter why you're there. A very bad idea. So Fergus decides he's going to go himself, which is the only reasonable response here. Leg, the charioteer of Kukulin, calls out that he does see Fergus's chariot. And Kukulin says, well, what sort of chariot is that? A chariot like a huge royal fort, with its yokes strong golden, with its great panel of copper, its shafts of bronze, with body thin-framed, dry-framed, feet high, scythed, sword fair, of a champion, on two horses, swift and stout and well-yoked. One royal warrior, wide-eyed, was the com- combatant of the chariot, a beard curly forked on him so that it reached over the soft lower part of his soft shirt so that it would shelter 50 warriors to be under the heavy part of that warrior's beard. So that's like a massive beard. So this chariot, it's a Toyota then? Yeah, basically. <laughs> a round white, a round shield, white, variegated, many colors on him with three chains so that there would be room from front to back for four troops of ten men behind the leather of the shield. Wait, how big is this guy? Apparently he's pretty massive. Because <laughs> I, I, th- I feel like we've exited human scale at this point. I think that Leg also doubles as a poet uh-huh. by night, you know? Don't quit your day job. Um, he's also got a sword and a spear, three-ridged, 
with a winding and with bands of white silver. And Kekolan says, well, this is not hard to recognize. My friend Fergus comes there with a warning and with compassion uh, to me beyond all the four provinces. Wait, that's Fergus? Fergus is, what did you say? He has a shield big enough for five people or something like that? Uh, apparently, there would be room from front to back for four troops of ten men behind the leather of the shield. Okay, so Fergus is either <laughs> secretly a giant or he's carrying a huge shield. He's just massive. Or Cacullin's charioteer is just making stuff up. Yeah, you know. Fergus reached them and sprang from his chariot, and Cacullin greeted him. Welcome your coming, oh my friend Fergus, said Cacullin. I believe you're welcome, said Fergus. You may believe it, said Cacullin. If a flock of birds comes to the plain, you shall have a duck with half of another. If fish come to the estuaries, you will have a salmon with half of another, a sprig of watercress and a sprig of marshwort and a sprig of seaweed and a drink of cold sandy water after it. Questions? Hang on. That portion is that of an outlaw, said Fergus. That is true. It is an outlaw's portion that I have, said Cacullin, for I have been from the Monday after Sawain to this time, and I have not gone for a night's entertainment, though strongly obstructing the men of Ireland on the cattle foray of cooling at this time. Okay, so the sandy water thing isn't supposed to be a positive. No. I'm going to get you some good sand in your drink. Yeah, he's saying I've been sitting out here defending against your people this entire time, but you're welcome here. Because we're friends. This does explain why he keeps catching birds. Is he, apparently he didn't bring any food with him. True. You know. If it were for this we came, said Fergus, we should have thought it better to leave it. And it is not for this we have come. Well, why have you come to me, said Cucullin? To tell you the warrior who comes against you in battle and combat tomorrow morning. Let us find it out and hear it from you then, said Cucullin. Your own foster brother, Faradad McDamon. On our word, we think it not best that it should be that he come we to meet. This is horrible grammar. Yeah. And it is not for fear of him, but for the greatness of our love for him. So he's saying, I'm not scared of this kid, but I don't want to fight him because he's my brother. Yeah. Which makes sense. It is fitting to fear him, said Fergus, for he has the skin of a horn in battle against a man so that neither weapon nor edge will pierce it. the skin of a what? Skin of horn in battle. Oh, skin of horn. Yes. Do not say that at all, said Cucullin, for I swear the oath that my people swear, that every joint and every limb of him will be as pliant as a pliant rush in the midst of a stream under the point of my sword if he shows himself once to me on that ford. I feel like pliant limbs are not the sort of thing you usually hear about in battle. That's a different genre. No. Yeah, you don't really want the pliant limbs in battle. You know, mobility is one thing, but... Ugh. So... Cucullin hears this, Fergus goes back, and Cucullin's charioteer says, well, you better get ready for this. And so he, you know, breaks from his ways of being the outlaw and standing at the fort and washes himself and prepares himself for battle. And meanwhile, there were great cares on Ferdiad's mind that night so that they did not let him sleep. One of his great anxieties was that he should let pass from him all the treasures that had been offered to him and the maiden by reason of combat with one man. If he did not fight with that one man, he must fight with six warriors on the morrow. His care that was greater than this was that if he should show himself once more on the fort to Cacullin, he was certain that he himself would not have power of his head or life thereafter, and Ferdiad rose early on the morrow. Good, my lad, said he, get our horses for us and harness the chariot. On our word, said the servant, we think it not greater praise to go to this journey than not to go to it. All right, so hold on. If Cacullin doesn't fight, then he has to fight six people tomorrow. Is that what the sentence was? Mm-hmm. You'd think he'd just opt for that. Like, I, 
he can clearly handle it, and then he wouldn't have to kill his brother. Like, all right, yes, solution. But, but he's going to be shamed. He's going to oh, be shamed right. for it. You forget, <laughs> this is a very shame-heavy genre. Really hard to keep that in mind. I'm like, well, you could just make a reasonable decision. They're like, no, it's shameful. No, I can't. My honor. Everyone's got a Zuko complex here. What? <laughs> Avatar? Last year, render? I forget you haven't seen it. <laughs> someone got that. Yes, I'm sure someone did. Because Zuko has to capture the Avatar to regain his honor in his father's eyes. And that's the entire plot of the show. Okay. It's basically what it is. Anyway. Okay. So they start facing each other. And Ferdiad stands before all the men of Ireland and proclaims to his charioteer, is it not fitting that we make our journey without farewell to the men of Ireland? Turn the horses and chariot towards the men of Ireland. The servant turned the horses and the chariot thrice towards the men of Ireland. Does Alil sleep now? said Maeve. Not at all, said Alil. Do you hear your new son-in-law greeting you? Is that what he's doing? says Alil. It is indeed, said Maeve. And I swear, by what my people swear, the man who makes the greeting yonder will not come back to you on the same feet. Nevertheless, we've profited by the good marriage connection with him, said Alil, provided Kukulin fell by him. I should not care if they both fell. But I think it might be better for Ferdad to escape. Can we take a moment to appreciate the line, not come back to you on the same feet? It took me a second to realize that meant someone would be carrying him back and not that he would steal yes. someone's feet. Yes. <laughs> so Maeve is basically saying, we're sending this kid off to die, but, you know, maybe he'll defeat Kukulun. And Alil, being an archetypally weak king in this scenario, mm-hmm. is letting Maeve take the reins and just saying, well, you know, he probably should have escaped, but... Whatever. You know, you'd think that Maeve, being as clearly amoral as she is, would just cheat. Like, send the whole army against him. Screw it. Why are you playing by the rules? It's it's a very strange story because she does do all of this. And there's it's funny because she falls back on Kukulin's sense of honor later as well. So we're gonna see how that plays out. But anyway, Ferdiad's writing to battle. And he asks his charioteer, how do you see Kukulin? And then we get this With my eyes. beautiful... <laughs> yes. But apparently all charioteers are also poets in their time off. Because we have to have this glorious depiction of what Kukulin looks like. So, I see, he said, the chariot broad above, fine, of white crystal with a yoke of gold, with great panels of copper, with shafts of bronze, with tires of white metal, with its body thin-framed, dry-framed, feet high, sword fair, of a champion on which there would be room for seven arms, fit for a lord, a fair seat for its lord, so that the chariot, Kukulin's chariot, the poison, the poison for Cusco, <laughs> Cusco's poison, would reach with the speed of a swallow or of a wild deer over the land level of Mag, Mag Schlieve. That is the speed in which they attain, for it is towards us they go. This chariot is at hand on two horses, small round, small end, pointed, red-breasted, easy to recognize, well-yoked. That One of the two horses is supple, swift-leaping, great of strength, great of foot, great of length. The other horse is curly-maned, slender-footed, narrow-footed, heeled. 
Two wheels, dark black, a pole of metal adorned with red enamel of a fair color, two bridles golden inlaid. There is a man with fair curly hair, broad cut in the front of the chariot. There is round him a blue mantle, red purple, a spear with wings, and it red, furious in his clenched fist, red flaming. The appearance of three heads of hair on him, dark hair against the skin of his head, hair blood red in the middle, and a crown of gold covers the third hair. Oh, I was really hoping that this would be like, you know, he... He has his regular head hair, and then he also has the rabbit fur glued to his face, and then he has those grease paint <laughs> Groucho Marx eyebrows, and those are the three hairs. That's what it really should be at this point, but no, he's got like the three colors going on. But we're not done yet. A fair arrangement of the hair, so that it makes three circles round about his shoulders down behind. I think it like gold thread after its color has been made over the edge of the anvil, or like the yellow of bees on which the sun shines in a summer day is the shining of each single hair of his head. Seven toes on each of his feet, and seven fingers on each of his hands, and the shining of a very great fire round his eyes, and of the hooves of his horses, a hero's sword in his hands. The charioteer of the chariot is worthy of him in his presence. Curly hair, very black has he, broad cut along his head. The cowl dress on him is open, so I'm guessing he's got, like, the full chest going here. God. <laughs> Two very fine golden leaf-shaped switches in his hand, and a light gray mantle round him, and a goad of white silver in his hand, plying the goad on the horses, whichever way the champion of the great deeds, who was at his hand in the chariot. So that is the description of Kukulin riding into battle. All military intelligence should be delivered in exactly that fashion. <laughs> That's, yeah, that's exactly what I want. Like, just spin paragraphs upon paragraphs describing, like, his hair is the gold of bees and his, <laughs> and his eyes shine fire. And then, like, end with, also, he's coming with, I don't know, a tank. A tank, you know. A tank with copper. <laughs> <laughs> with copper filigree and silver intertwined. The Abrams has the most beautiful camo. <laughs> just... Well, amazing, and the way that its its number is stenciled on the side is just <laughs> phenomenal and shining black spray paint. Yeah. So anyway, so that's approaching at six o'clock. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so it's it's fascinating that now we get to hear that Kukulin apparently has seven toes and yeah, seven fingers. I that was interesting. Which we didn't get to hear about before. Maybe he's grown extra. You know, you never know after his, after his trysts with these many-eyed women, or many-pupiled women, at least. Also, he does keep twisting himself all around. Maybe he just put some stuff in the wrong place, and now he's got too many fingers and toes. That's such a D&D &D idea. That would be fun, actually. Roll the, roll the wild magic table when you try and, like, polymorph, or, like, your druid tries to change shape, wild shape. I was definitely shape. thinking it, was, it, was, it would be, like, a wild shape thing. Like, there's, mm -hmm, there's a 1% mm -hmm. chance every time you change yep. back wrong. Ooh, that'd be spooky. All right. Go, O fellow, said he to Ferdiad. You praise too much altogether and prepare the arms in the ford against his coming. If I turn my face backwards, it seems to me the chariot would come through the back of my neck. Oh, fellow, said he, too greatly do you praise Cullen, for it is not a reward for praising he has given you. So basically what this is saying is Ferdiad is like, why are you praising this guy? Like, if, if two boxers come into the ring, you're supposed to hype me up. Yeah. Not him. 
And so Ferdiad is calling him out here. So does he want his charioteer to turn around and go like, Oh, Ferdiad, your eyes are like starlight. Yes. This is this is exactly what he wants him to do. Because it's, it's the equivalent of a bayout. Ah. Or a flighting. And so he's like, why don't you just turn around and do the same thing for me? And he's like, well, if I do that, then I'm going to lose control of the chariot, boss. Also, no one's listening but me and you right now. Like... Yeah. Maybe wait until Kukulin's here, and then I'll hype you up. Yeah, you know. It is not long afterwards that they meet in the middle of the ford, and Ferdiad said to Kukulin, Whence come you, O Kua? He said, for Kua was the name of squinting in Old Gaelic, and there were seven pupils in Kukulin's royal eye. There, and two what? of these pupils... Uh, I'm just telling you what the text says. Okay, has that always been there, or did he pick something up from Fedelm? Fedelm. I'm... I'm guessing he picked something up from her, or it's a metaphor, because it's his royal eye. But anyway, two of these pupils were squinting, and the ugliness of it no greater than his beauty on him. And if there had been a blemish on Cucullin, it is that with which he reproached him, and he was proclaiming it. So he's saying, like, oh, two of your royal eyes are squinting. Uh, uh. But it's like... And he's like, no, that's the thing I'm sensitive about. (laughs) Excellent use. 10 out of 10. Thank you. Oh, all right. And so here we go. Then they took to the Ford play, which is to say they're fighting in a river. They're not like splashing around. Yeah, no. Although maybe that's the version that we wish happened. Ferdiad and Kukulin performed marvelous feats. Kukulin went and leapt into Ferdiad's shield. Ferdiad hurled him from thrice into the ford so that the charioteer taunted him again, and he swelled like breath in a bag. His size increased until he was greater than Ferdiad. Give heed to the gay Volga, said the charioteer. He sent it to him along the stream. Kukulin seized it between his toes and wielded it on Ferdiad into his body's armor. It advances like one spear so that it became 24 points. Then Ferdiad turned the shield below. Kukulin thrust it at him with the spear over the shield so that it broke the shaft of his ribs and went through Ferdiad's heart. Strong is the ash from thy right hand. My rib breaks and my heart is blood. Well hast thou given battle. Wait, what What right hand? It just said he was using his toes. Yes. <laughs> I fall, O hound. Cuchulain then spake. Alas, O golden brooch, fair Diad. O strong, fair striker. Thy hand was victorious, our dear foster brother. O delight of the eyes. Thy shield... Thy shield with the rim of gold, thy sword was dear. Thy ring of white silver round thy noble arm. Thy chest playing was worthy of a great man. Thy cheek was fair purple. Thy yellow curling hair was great. It was a fair treasure. The soft folded girdle, which used to be about thy side. That thou shouldest fall at Kukulun's hands was sad, O calf. Thy shield did not suffice which used to be for service. Our combat with thee is not fitting, our horses and our tumult. Fair was the great hero. Every host used to be defeated and put underfoot. Alas, O golden brooch, O fair dad. So essentially what happens here is the charioteer sends along the gay bulga down the river and Kukulin throws it, either with his hand or with his toes, presumably with his foot. It, he at least catches it with his foot. Mm-hmm. And thrusts it over his own shield, but underneath Ferdiad's, so that it strikes 
his heart. You know, it's it's really the sign of a well-written epic that after each action, you have to explain what just happened. Oh, yes, I know. <laughs> At least we're not doing this in the Old Irish. Yeah. But something notable here is that the spear goes from being one point, once it's in his body, it expands to be 24 points. Oh, I thought that was a metaphor. No, no. And I'm going to get into this in some of the literature at, at the end, mm-hmm. uh, because so many people keep wondering, what the heck is this gay bulga? And so I did a bit of research on it. And some of the things that I found are absolutely fascinating. Is it like a pair of anguish? Like it opens up? Essentially, yes. So are you are you familiar with, I guess, like the arrows or, or I don't know, some some blades that once they go in... They expand, and then you can't pull it out. I did not know this was a thing, no. Okay, so this this is an actual thing. It works extraordinarily well with javelins and pointed throwing weapons. Mm-hmm. And so essentially what happens is the folds of the blade fly through the air, and it stays compact. And then once it gets in the body, it gets stuck. And so if you try to yank it out backwards, all of those are open now. And will catch on the flesh. So if you try and pull it out, you're going to be yanking out more flesh. Oh. So that's why typically if you can with an arrow or something, if it's through all the way, keep pulling it. Don't push it. Like pull it all the way through the body and don't try and yank it out. Right. Because you're going to just do more harm than good. So are you you just talking about like barbs or is this something more like mechanical? I'm guessing it's more barbs in this sense and i'll get into like what it is later but anyway so that's that's what's going on here is that it's a barbed spear and so if he tries to yank it out it's not going to go because now it's got 24 reverse points Mm -hmm. and one of the interesting bits is that this final lament that Cucullin pours out in the faraday version it's very very compact however in the original it is true to the Irish text. It is a very long poem. So I figured I would read part of the translation from Dunn that goes into it. So, ah, fair dad, betrayed to death, our last meeting, oh, how sad. Thou to die, I to remain, ever sad, our long farewell, where we dwelt over yonder with our scathach, steadfast, true, this we thought till the end of time that our friendship would ne'er end. All was play, all was sport, till fair dad came to the ford. One task for both of us equal our reward. Our kind, gentle nurse chose him over all. All was play, all was sport, till fair dad came to the ford. Won our life, won our fear, won our skill in arms. Shields gave Scathic twain to fair dad and me. All was play, all was sport, till fair dad came to the ford. Dear the shaft of gold, I smote on the ford, bull chief of the tribes, braver he than all, only games and only sport, till Ferdiad came to the ford. Lion furious, flaming fierce, swollen wave that wrecks like doom, only games and only sport, till Ferdiad came to the ford. Loved Ferdiad seemed to me, after me would live for I. Yesterday a mountain size, he is but a shade today. Three things countless on the toyne which have fallen by my hand hosts of cattle men and steeds i have slaughtered on all sides though the hosts were e'er so great that came out of crookan wild more than a third and less than half slew i in my direful sport never trod in the battle's ring 
Banba nursed not on her breast, ne'er sprang from sea or land, king's son that had larger fame. So he's he's lamenting the loss of his foster brother that he's been forced to kill. Right. Calling it a betrayal, mostly of Maeve, mm-hmm. which would be accurate. So, going on. Then, after this, we get a very strange moment, uh, and it seems to come out of nowhere. So, while all the things that we have related were done, Swalith heard from Roth Swaltim in Magmurthna that the vexing of his son Kukulin against the twelve sons of Gaeldana and his sister's son. It is then that Swaltim, which is Kukulin's father, or at least as close to a father as he has, because his dad is technically right. Lug, the god. Is it heaven that bursts, or the sea over its boundaries, or earth that is destroyed, or the shout of my son against odds? Then he comes to his son. Kukulin was displeased that he should come to him. Go Though he away, was slain, Dad. I'm fighting. <laughs> Though he were slain, I should have not the strength to avenge him. Go to the Ulster men, says Kukulin, and let them give battle to the warriors at once. If they do not give it, they will not be avenged forever. When his father saw him, there was not in his chariot as much the point of a rush that would not cover, that was not pierced. His left hand, which the shield protected, 20 wounds were in it. So essentially, at this point... Kukulin is mentally defeated. He has physically won. What is it? A Pyrrhic victory. He has, yeah, he has physically won. He's very wounded and he's exhausted. And he's saying, I'm done. The Ulster men had better show up because this is too far. This is too much for me. Swalatim then comes over to the Ulsterman and says, Men are being slain, women carried off, cows driven away. His first shout was from the side of the court, his second from the side of the fortress, the third was on the top of the mound of the hostages in a main. No one answered. It was the practice of the Ulsterman that none of them should speak uh, except to Conquivere, and Conquivere did not speak before the three druids. Who takes them? Who steals them? Who carries them off? said the druid. Alil McMatha carries them off and steals them and takes them. Through the guidance of Fergus McRoy, said Swaltham, your people have been enslaved as far as Dun Soberka. Their cows and their women and their cattle have been taken. Kukulin did not let them into Magmurthna and into Crickroy. Three months of winter then, bent branches of hazel held together his dress upon him. Dry wisps are on his wounds. He has been wounded so that he has been parted joint from joint. Fitting, said the druid, were the death of the man who has spurred on the king. It is fitting for him, said Conquivere. It is fitting for him, said the Ulsterman. True is what Swaltham says, said Conquivere. From the Monday night of Sawain to the Monday night of Candlemas, he has been in this foray. So they're acknowledging Kukulin's sacrifice. Swaltham gave a leap out thereupon. He did not think sufficient the answer that he had. So Swaltham is saying, you guys have not done enough. You are not doing enough. And he falls on his shield so that the engraved edge of the shield cut his head off. His head was brought back into a main on the house, like on the boss of the shield. And the head says the same thing, though some say that he was asleep on the stone and that he fell thence to his shield in awakening. All right. I have a couple questions. Yes. One, did you say that Kukulin has been fighting basically alone from Samhain to Candlemas? Yes. That's months. Candlemas is in February. Yes. I thought the reason he was fighting alone was because the Ulstermen were having their monthly times. Yes. Did they just not tell him they were feeling better? Again, we are not quite sure what the monthly times are talking about. Uh, It's a periodic sickness, 
and we're not it's it's likened to women's pains but it doesn't necessarily say that it's the same time period as okay. quote unquote women's pains so I, I was i was assuming that it followed the same pattern yes yeah, so did i when i first read this as well but that's that's the thing is it could either be like childbirth or it could be like pms pains either way but apparently it has lasted for that long okay and so Kukulin is now sick of it and his father is so sick of it and so his father has made this shout of the sea before him heaven and earth etc etc and he was so dissatisfied by what the response was that he fell on his shield like a samurai would fall on their sword Mm -hmm. and then his head continues to speak afterwards just repeating isn't the all right kokolin is already distressed because he's lost a adoptive family member and his father thinks like self-decapitation is the way to improve things or his stepfather, I guess. All I have to say to this is, once again, society of honor. <sighs> this whole honor thing does not seem to work out. No, no, it doesn't. I'm so glad that we do not live in a society that demands this much. Yeah, I was going to say, it's definitely still part of things. Mm, mm-hmm. To a lesser degree. To a lesser degree. I want to make sure I'm not skipping the other parts of done that I got. I would be terrible at being in a society of honor. They'd be like, honor demands you do X, Y, and Z. And I'd be like, but that's dumb. (laughs) (laughs) So I won't. So I won't. And be like, you're ashamed. That's fine. I'll just go home. Yeah, whatever. It's just cool. Would not work. I'd be terrible at it. I would lose all of my face. Again, I think that it was a great basis for... A D&D society where, you know, some kid, some young adventurer gets kicked out into exile because he won't uphold the honor that is demanded of him in a society. But then again, again, this might just be the plot of Avatar. So, (laughs) you know, there is nothing new under the sun. So now at this point, after however many months and however many pages of text this has been, we're finally getting to the point where the armies are actually going to face each other. Oh, right. This has all been, like, the lead-up to that. Yeah. And, again, what have, the, what have the Ulstermen been doing? Crying, presumably. Curled up in balls. Like, there's no indication they've been maybe preparing. No. Nope. Because when these things had been done, the Connachtman determined to send messengers by the Council of Alil and Maeve and Fergus to look at the Ulstermen to see whether they had reached the plain. It is there, Alil said. Go, Macroth, said Alil and look for us whether the men are all on the plain of Meath, in which we are. If they have not come, I have carried off their spoil and their cows. Let them give battle to me if it suits them. I will not wait for any of them here any longer. Wait, who's stealing whose cows? The Ulsterman's cows. Oh, so job done. Yes, they're like, they're still, they're going after the bull. They're still doing it. Then McRoy, that is to say, Fergus. Oh no, sorry, McRoth, different than McRoy. Fergus is McRoy, so this guy called McRoth is going. Then McRoth went to go and look and watch the plane. He came back to Alil and Maeve and Fergus, and then the first time that McRoth looked from any circuit of the Schliefuit, I don't know, he saw that all of the wild beasts came out of the wood so that they were all in the plane. The second time, said McRoth, that I surveyed the plane, I saw a heavy mist that filled the glens and the valleys so that it made the hills between them like islands in lakes. 
There appeared to me sparks of fire out of this great mist. There appeared to me variegation on every different color in the world. Then I saw lightning and din and thunder and a great wind that almost took my hair from my head and threw me on my back. And yet the wind of the day was not that great. What is it yonder, O Fergus? said Alil. Say what it means. That is not hard. This is what it means, says Fergus. This is the Ulstermen after coming out of their sickness. It is they who have come into the wood. The throng and the greatness and the violence of the heroes... It is that which has shaken the wood. It is before them that the wild beasts have fled into the plain. The heavy mist that you saw, which filled the valleys, was the breath of those warriors, which filled the glens so that it made the hills between them, like islands in the lakes. The lightnings and sparks of fire and the many colors that you saw, O McRoth, said Fergus, are the eyes of the warriors from their heads, which have shone to you like sparks of fire. The thunder and the din and the noise that you heard was the whistling of swords and the ivory-hilted weapons, the clatter of arms, the creaking of chariots, the beating of hooves of the horses, the strength of the warriors, the roar of the fighting men, the noise of the soldiers, the great rage and anger and fierceness of the heroes going into madness to battle for the greatness and rage and the fury. They would think they would not reach it at all, said Fergus. You know, I think that that stuff like this is just the best argument for the theory that everyone in the Middle Ages was tripping on Urgot, because that's the only explanation I can think of why someone would think, oh, you thought you were seeing lightning, but actually it was just people's eyes. Like, that's the only way that explanation would make sense if you're assuming everyone is tripping on hallucinogens all the time. I love that option. I also think that it is deliberately a bit of metaphor, but I also think, like, I don't know. I've been in enough situations where, like, I'll see something out of the corner of my eye. Like, I'll see, like, a sweater out of the corner of my eye and think it's my cat. Mm. so i feel i feel like there's enough there's enough there to think that the thunder of horses hooves could actually be the thunder of a storm especially if it's cloudy i'll take the the thunder thing and yeah the mist is their breath thing i'm like okay you know maybe it's just exaggeration yeah the the lightning is their eyes where i'm I'm not buying that. I mean, I think that's just like the extension of the metaphor, but also the idea that this guy was tripping balls is great. <laughs> cause especially because Fergus is like, no, no, this this is what it means. This is what it means. Like I'm not like I'm not having I'm not David having to interpret. It wasn't no. David, was it? It was That was David. Joseph. No, it was Joseph. Joseph. Yeah, who's interpreting dreams for Pharaoh. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, the Technicolor Dreamcoat. That's right. Yeah. So go figure. Anyway, Alil says, we have warriors for them. We will await them. You will need oh, that. we brought an army for just this reason. <laughs> yes. Who knew? You will need that, said Fergus, for they will not be found in all Ireland nor the rest of the world from Greece and Scythia. It is, is it Scythia or Scythia? I have no idea. In my I, head, it's Scythia, but I don't know if that's correct. I think it's Scythia. I don't know. Again. Very white. Don't know the names. I'm not sure you can use that excuse when it's, like, a European word. It's valid. Okay. Illiterate. <laughs> I am illiterate. <laughs> uh, according to Wikipedia, it is, it's Scythia in a U.S. accent and Scythia in a U.K. accent. Even with the S-C? Yeah. But, oh, but that's probably an anglicization because there is a K in the Greek. The Greek. 
Yeah. That makes so much more sense. I I keep wondering, like I kept wondering throughout my childhood why everyone's saying Scythia when there's clearly a C there. I am vindicated. Anyway, okay. I think it's just because we over. all pronounce it like scythe. Oh, that would make sense. We're wrong. Again, according to Wikipedia, the romanization of the Greek word, because I can't read the Greek alphabet, is skuthike. So who knows what to do with that? And I'm that probably saying sense. that wrong, too. <laughs> anyway, you will need that, said Fergus, for there will not be found in all Ireland nor in the rest of the world from Greece to Scythia, westward to the Orkneys, and to the Pillars of Hercules, and to the Tower of Bregan, to the Isles of... I think it's either Gades or Gades. G-A-D-E-S. Anyone who shall endure the Ulstermen in their fury and their rage. Where are those last bits? I need to look them up, actually. Alright. I should have, but I didn't. Because I was too interested in what the actual Gabolga is, so hang on. Tower of Bregan. Bregan's Tower is a place in Ireland. It seems to be connected to the Tower of Hercules as well. So it could have just been a mistranslation or like a double translation because Brogan is a hero in Irish lore. But when I look up Tower of Brogan, it brings up the Tower of Hercules, which refers to the preserved Roman lighthouse. Yeah. So my guess is that it's another name for that. And then the island of Gades. Ah, Gades. Modern day Cadiz, Spain, was an ancient city located on the island of Erythia, which is okay. referenced in Pliny's, Pliny's Natural History. Okay. Yes. So apparently it was notable enough for him to mention it. So they're basically, what Fergus is basically saying is nobody's going to be able to stop the Ulstermen in the world, or at least the known world at this time, once they start going. So what I have cut out of this section is three or four pages of Fergus, oh no, not Fergus, but MacRoth, because apparently this is his job, going through and describing the leaders of each one of the smaller kingships of the Ulstermen and the leaders of the Ulstermen. So I decided that we did not need to hear about, you know, another rough shirt braided about him, a great, great gray spear in his hand and 30 rivets therein and a sword of seven charges and metal on his shoulders and da da da, because that goes on for a while. Right, because all the charioteers are poets. Yes, they're all poets, including McRoth, apparently. So skipping past that slightly. Everyone looks super badass, is yes. the summary. They all look great and they're all going to war. Because that's what men do. It's how they prove they're the most specialist boy. Yes, precisely. So at this point, war is raging. Kokulin's sitting over here trying to catch his breath. And it's I believe it's been three days at this point. When Ferdiad and Kukulin battle, they fight for three days. Because everything in Ireland has to be in threes. So they fight for three days. And then Cullen has to recover for three days. And meanwhile, this massive war is raging. So then his charioteer told Cucullin that Alil and Maeve were asking Fergus to go into battle, and they said to him that it was only right for him to do it, for they had Isn't done Fergus him- Fergus like 70? Yeah, I mean, I pictured him as like an old grandpa, but it was only right for him to do it because they'd done him a lot of kindness in exile. So they're blackmailing him into going. 
Or at least guilt-tripping him. Yeah. If I had my sword indeed, said Fergus, the heads of men over shields would be more numerous with me than hailstones into the mire, which come to the horses of a king after they have broken into the land. Then Fergus made this oath. I swear there would be broken by me cheeks of men from their necks, necks of men from their lower arms, arms of men from their elbows, elbows of men from their arms, meaning their hands and their fists. He's basically saying, I will cut them all off into pieces. Yes. And he literally goes this, goes through the entire body. Then Aleel said to his charioteer, let there come to me the sword which destroys skin. Which sounds so badass. The skin Isn't that destroyer. All of them, though? Yeah, but like, what a name. <laughs> that is a good name. But like, you think about it, it's like anything sharp destroys True. skin. Shout out to Critical Role and the Skin Gorger because that's Im- immediately what I thought of. But anyway. I've never watched Critical Role. I highly recommend, but then again, I'm just obsessed with Matthew Mercer's world building, so. I mean, isn't it a YouTube series and each one is like two hours? I don't have that. Oh, no. I can't stare at a screen. No, 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 no. No, each one is um, four hours. (laughs) Yeah, see, I I can't do I I can barely keep up with. Actually, no, I fail to keep up with like regular television. I can't do like. Oh, I don't watch normal TV. I just watch Critical Role. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. (laughs) No, I do it when I cook. And then, you know, that way it breaks it up into chunks. See, I, I listen to podcasts while I do all that kind of stuff. I listen to podcasts when I go on bike rides, but I really enjoy watching the expressions of what goes on at the table. Okay. So, anyway, Alil said to his charioteer, Let there come to me the sword which destroys skin. I swear by the god by whom my people swear, if you have its bloom worse today than on the day on which I gave it to you in this hillside in the boundary of Ulster, though the men of Ireland were protecting you from me, they should not protect you. Then his sword was brought to Fergus, and Alil said, Take thy sword. So he's gifting over the sword. The skin destroyer. The skin destroyer. Yes. A pity for thee to fall on the field of battle, said Fergus to Alil. Then Bave and Net's wife and the Nemain called on them that night and on Gerach and Ir Gerach, so that a hundred warriors of them died for terror. That was not the quietest of nights for them. Again, the Irish understatements. Then Fergus takes his arms and turns into the battle and clears a gap of a hundred in the battle with his sword in his two hands. Then Maeve took the arms of Fergus and rushed into the battle and she was victorious thrice so that she was driven back by force of arms. I do not know, said Conquivere to his retinue who were around him, before whom has the battle been broken against us from the north? Do you maintain the fight here that I may go against him? We will hold the place in which we are, said the warriors, unless the earth busts beneath us or heaven upon us from above, so that we shall break therefrom. Then Conquivere came against Fergus. He lifts his shield around him. So now we're getting into, like, the boss fights where, you know, the music over, you know, comes over and you don't hear the, you know, soldiers behind and it's just... Conquivere and Fergus. Right. And Fergus strikes three blows on Conquivere's shield so that even the rim of his shield over his head did not touch him. Who of the Ulstermen holds the shield, said Fergus. A man who is better than you, said Conquivere, and he has brought you into exile into the dwellings of wolves and foxes. Isn't Conquivere also old and like he spends all his time sitting around watching boys and getting drunk till he passes out? I, I don't I don't see this person as a as a formidable warrior. Apparently they are, because if you're old and you're a king, you also apparently have the strength to jump into battle. Alright, this this may be one of those before your time things, because this is from my childhood, but mm. 
Did you see the Dexter's Laboratory movie? I have not. For anyone else who remembers it, there is a scene where, like, there's time travel involved. And there's a scene where the old version of Dexter and the old version of Mandark are fighting. And they're just, like, (laughs) they're just shouting insults at each other in old man voices. And that's what I'm picturing here. That's that's basically what's going on, to be honest. So Conqueror is shouting that he will repel you today in combat in the presence of the men of Ireland. Fergus aimed a blow on him of vengeance with his two hands on Conqueror so that the point of his sword touched the ground behind him. And Cormac put his hands upon him and closed his two hands about his arm. Oh, Fergus, said Cormac, hostile is the friendship, right is your enmity, your compact has been destroyed, evil are the blows that you strike, oh friend Fergus. Whom shall I smite, said Fergus. Smite the three hills in some other direction over them. Turn your hand, smite about you on every side, and have no consideration for them. Take thought for the honor of Ulster. What has not been lost shall not be lost, if it be not lost through you today. Go in some other direction, O Conquebeer, said Cormac to his father. This man will not put his rage on the Ulsterman any more. Fergus turned away. He slew a hundred warriors of Ulster in the first combat with the sword. He met Conal Serach. Too great rage is that, said Connell, on people and race for a wanton. What shall I do, O warriors, said he. Smite the hills across them and the champions around them, said Connell. Fergus smote the hills then so that he struck the three Mela of Meath with his three blows. Cuchulain heard the blows that Fergus gave on the hills and on the shield of Conquevere himself. Who strikes the three strong blows great and distant, said Cuchulain. Then Leig answered, The choice of men, Fergus McRoy, and the the very bold smites them. Essentially, this is how those three hills in Neath get their name, is because their tops get chopped off by Fergus in his anger for not killing Conquebeer. Okay, so Fergus is a giant then. I guess so. He's just a big honking dude. Everybody's a giant in Legends. So, moving forward. Then Cucullin said, Unloose quickly the hazel twigs, blood covers men, play of swords will be made, and men spent therefrom. Then his dry wisps sprang from him on high, and his hazel twigs sprang off till they were in Magturic and Connacht, and he smote the head of each of the two handmaidens against each other, so that each one of them was gray from the brain of the other. I'm sorry, the what? The what? The two whats? Handmaidens? Is this a metaphor, or is he just beating up, like, servant girls? Um... I don't know. I'm pretty sure the the description of their gray brain matter spattering on the other is pretty literal here. Yeah, I mean, like, but who... Are they referring to someone else as handmaidens, or are there actual handmaidens, and for some reason Kukulin is attacking them instead of the well, people who came here to fight? Remember, Kukulin is sitting on the side trying to rest. Oh. And he hears about... Fergus going ham. Okay, so he is beating up, like, random servant girls. Yes, but he's been doing this throughout this entire process. Yeah, fair. (laughs) I I assume these are, like, the servants who are trying to help him recover, too. Probably. Again, no matter why you're near Kukulin, you shouldn't be. Yeah, exactly. Unless, apparently, you're his charioteer. The contortion came on him, and twenty-seven skin tunics were given to him that used to be about him under strings and thongs when he went into battle, and he takes his chariot on his back with his body and its two tires, and he made for Fergus round the battle. It's not how chariots work. (laughs) He is the chariot now. 
Turn hither, O friend Fergus, said Cacolan, and he did not answer till the third time. I swear by the god by whom the Ulstermen swear, said he, I will wash thee as foam as I wash in a pool. I will go over thee as the tail goes over a cat. I will smite thee as as a fond mother smites her son. Do they? Which tells you, which tells you something about Irish mammies. Fawn like deer? No, fond. Oh, fond. Oh. <laughs> I'm not sure that's a fond mother thing to do. No. You know, you know, Irish mammies with the spoon, man. You don't, you don't mess with that. Which of the men of Ireland speaks thus to me, said Fergus? Cucullin, sister's son to Concavir, said Cucullin, and avoid me. I have promised even that, said Fergus. Your promise falls due, then. Good, said Fergus. You avoided me when you were pierced with wounds. Then Fergus went away with his cantred, and the Leinstermen go, and the Munchersmen, and they left the battle by nine cantreds of Maves and Alleles and their seven sons' army. In the middle of the day, it is that Cucullin came into the battle, when the sun came into the leaves of the wood, and it is then that he defeated the last company, so that there remained only the chariot of a handful of the ribs about the body and a handful of the shafts about the wheel. So, basically... Yeah, you definitely need to summarize that one. Yes. Essentially what happens here is Fergus is going crazy and he's mad at Conquivir because Conquivir exiled him. He cuts the tops off of the mountains and he's still going crazy. And Cacullin hears this and he's like, this is not good. This is not what I want. And so in order to stop Fergus from overcoming the Ulstermen, which he knows could happen, he torques out. And then goes up to Fergus and says, remember how I let you pass? Now it's your turn. Turn around, walk away. And he does. Because these two are still, you know, buddy, buddy. Mm -hmm. So now... Wait, 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 wait. Yes. Why did he carry the chariot? Because, I don't know, he's in his warp spasm (laughs) and, you know... Okay, so there's not a reason for it. (laughs) No! (laughs) Okay. Pre-workout, I don't know. (laughs) I think it could be read that he, like, leaps onto the back of his chariot. But what I have here says, and he takes the chariot on his back with mm-hmm. its body and two tires. Yeah, that so- that I, that definitely sounds like he's carrying it. Yeah, but it makes way more sense for him to leap into his chariot. So I'm going to go with that. Okay. Yeah. All right. And that's where we'll stop for this week. Tune in next week for the thrilling conclusion of The Toyn Bakuling. Thank you for listening to The Maniculum. Please consider leaving a rating and review in Apple Podcasts to help support the project. For more geeky additions or to see our sources and notes, check out our blog, Marginalia, at themaniculumpodcast.com. You can also join our Facebook group, The Maniculum Podcast, to join in on discussions about all things medieval. And feel free to reach out. We're on Twitter, at Maniculum, and on Instagram, at Maniculum Podcast. We'd love to hear from you. And special thanks to Sandra Boyle, who created the music for our show. You can check out her project, Sugar Glass, on Spotify. A spear with wings. It's... English. Wow.